Well, our sermon uh, is called, the sermon title for today is called A Meatball for a Baby. A Meatball for a Baby. Some of y'all are smiling and wondering what in the world does that mean, a meatball for a baby. Well, when I was uh, thinking of what the sermon title would be, I already had the sermon all outlined. I knew what I was going to uh, preach on. I was actually, can you guess what I was eating when my father-in-law, who does the program, uh, <laughs> when he asked, what do you want the title to be? I was eating a meatball at Castle Rock Adventist Hospital. <laughs> and uh, I decided, hey, call it a meatball for a baby. And what does that mean? Well, it's a very silly title because a meatball for a baby is a horrible idea. Okay, I'm seeing head nods. Thank you. I am not proposing this morning for you to feed a baby a meatball. That's not what I'm proposing. You're probably wondering what does this mean? Well, it's dangerous because a baby cannot chew a meatball for one thing. A baby does not have teeth. A baby's digestive system probably has not developed enough to digest the meatball. And the consequences of a baby eating a meatball is very dangerous. They can choke, and most of all, they can die. So why did I call our sermon today a meatball for a baby? Well, because I truly believe... I'll speak specifically to the Adventist church, our church in general. I feel like we do that sometimes with new babes in the church. I feel like we sometimes do that with new people in the church. Whether they're first-time comers to a Christian church, and the first thing they're going to hear about, tell, tell me if you've heard this before. Uh, we're going to hold a series for the community, and the first thing we're going to teach them is the desolation that causes abomination. Yeah. Let's pause there for a second and let that sink in. That's the first thing we're going to talk about, right? That's the first thing that we're going to present to the community, that here we are, we're a new church. I'm not talking about us specifically, but let's say it's a new church, and the first thing you're going to talk about is the desolation that causes abomination. For someone that's new, that could be a very scary thing. We've done that as a church multiple times. And I'm, what I want to share with you today is that I think we need to do things differently. We cannot start with the meatball for someone that's new to the church. Or if we're wanting to bring people back to the church, it cannot be that meatball of the desolation that causes abomination. And if you're still thinking, what does that mean? That's the point. <laughs> and the desolation that causes abomination is from the book of Daniel. I think as Adventists, we've been very good at holding Daniel and Revelation series. That's scary stuff to talk about for someone that's new to the church. How about we start with something called the gospel? Right? The gospel. That's how we should start with a new baby in the faith, is we start with the gospel. And so what I propose that we look at today, 
I would invite you to look at Acts chapter 10. Because in Acts chapter 10, we have a wonderful story between two men. One man is a church leader in the infant Christian church, and the other man is a babe in the faith, a Gentile, a Roman centurion. So what we're going to do today is we're going to uh, compare and contrast these two men. We're going to take a look at their stories, and we're going to see how these two men align together for the greater good. Peter is who I'm talking about. He's the church leader in this respect. And Cornelius is the Roman centurion that Peter is going to meet. Not by chance, but by divine intervention. Some of the words that I want you to think about today uh, are two things. I'm going to be talking about two things a whole lot today. Uh, spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is something that all Christians will grow into. Spiritual maturity. And the other word I want you to think about is prompting. Especially when it comes to God doing the prompting. The Holy Spirit prompting. Because we're going to see that a lot in this story. We really are. So let's go to Acts chapter 10. We'll start with verse 1. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God every day or very regularly. So what we see here first and foremost is this thing, uh, is a description about this man named Cornelius. We know that Cornelius is a Gentile because, well, he's a Roman soldier. And he's not any Roman soldier. He is a commander of the centurion army, which means that he is a commander of a hundred soldiers. A hundred high-ranking soldiers who have soldiers underneath them. So Cornelius, you can say, is a man above men. But he's not big-headed about it. it. The Bible tells us that he's humble, that he gives generously, that he has a big heart to those who are in need, and that he prays to God every single day. This is a good man. He's a good Gentile man. Okay, uh, And so we're going to see then how he interacts with Peter. So here's his story. He is devout, and then one day, it tells us in verse 3, that he has a vision. And in this vision, an angel visits him and tells him to go look for Peter, Simon Peter, who is currently at Joppa. Go look for Peter, who uh, he is staying at Simon the Tanner's house, and call for him to come to your house. That's the only prompting that's been given to Cornelius at this point. That's it. Just with that small prompting, this soldier, remember he's a soldier, he goes ahead and obeys. He calls on two of his servants and one of his soldiers, so three total men go out to retrieve Peter. If you're wondering the distance between Caesarea and uh, Joppa, the distance is about 30 miles. It's about a day's travel for those who are traveling on foot. Okay, So now we have Peter come into the story. Uh, let's jump to verse 9. It says, About noon the following day, 
as the messengers of Cornelius were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, into a deep sleep. He saw heaven open up and something like a large sheet being led down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter said. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The, vo the voice spoke to him a second time, saying uh, this time around, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three more times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And then while Peter is wondering, uh, thinking about this dream, this vision that he had, that's a very odd vision, a vision of this blanket just opening up. While he's thinking about this vision, there comes a knock on the door. It's the three men sent by Cornelius. He's wondering what's going on downstairs while he's still trying to make sense of the dream. And then Peter gets a prompt from the Lord. God tells him, those men at the door are sent by me. Go with them. And that's it. That's the only prompt that Peter receives. No other orders. Just go with them, Peter. You're going to be safe in their, in their company. And so the three men, or now four, and actually Peter has other men accompanying him from his uh, group. So I believe if I remember correctly, it's seven peop people with, uh, six people with Peter. So that's seven of his party. And then the three men from uh, Cornelius, there's 10 men traveling back to Cornelius's household. Verse 27, now Cornelius and Peter are together. And verse uh, 27 tells us that talking to Cornelius, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Can you imagine that? Cornelius, being a generous, devout, God-fearing man, has also influenced his family. His friends. One thing I failed to point out about Cornelius is since he's a high-ranking official, since he's a high-ranking uh, Roman citizen, he most likely had a huge estate, a house large enough to um, hold his not just immediate family, but his extended family as well. So this was a wealthy man. And now this man has influenced the rest of his family and they've all come to gather to listen to Peter speak. Something's prompting these people to come together. Not only is it Cornelius, but I truly believe it's the Holy Spirit prompting them to come together to have a meeting place. You know, the comparison here between babe and uh, the opposite of a baby would then be an adult. Someone who is of a spiritual maturity and not a baby, someone who has spiritual maturity is keen on God's prompting. I want to point that out. 
And we see that with these two men. What? Wait a minute. You mean God prompted also Cornelius, who is not a church leader? Yes! I truly believe God prompts even outsiders. He prompts outsiders as well. And that's what Cornelius does here. When he heard that prompt to go get Peter, he listened to God, not knowing what the purpose is. And when Peter received that prompting from God, he understood and he said, okay, I'm going to follow and I'm going to go. I see here then in this picture that they, uh, there are two highly spiritual mature people coming together for a purpose, for a reason. And we're going to get to that in a little while. So I just want to talk about that prompting for just a while. What does it mean to be prompted by God? You've probably had those experiences in your life. I know you have. Maybe you've had a prompting of deciding which college to go to, if you're, that, if you're in that stage of your life. Or maybe you're receiving a prompting of the person that you're going to marry. Is this person right for me, Lord? You know, there's, there's this desire that, wow, this is the next step that I should take. But uh, there might be some doubts sometimes. Sometimes that might be okay. Or maybe the prompting is for a new job. In accepting this role to be the pastor here at Castle Rock, I was receiving that prompt maybe back last summer. Then as things started to move along, I really had to pray on it to see if God is guiding. And the beautiful thing about prompting, you know what happens next? Manifestation. God starts to open doors in a very beautiful way that you're wondering, hey, wait a minute, how can this happen? The timing, the doors opening, man, this has got to be, have you said this before? A God thing, <laughs> right? See, I see smiles now because this resonates with you. This connects with you, right? The fact that we have new faces in our church tells me, there, tells me that there's prompting happening outside in Castle Rock. Hmm. There's prompting happening out there where people are asking about what's going on here at Castle Rock Adventist Church. Let me see what that's about. Now something is about to happen with Peter and Cornelius that I think is something similar to what's about to happen to us. So now Peter is in the presence of Cornelius. And going back to verse 27, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people who have been prompted by the Holy Spirit. Then verse 28, he goes to Cornelius, and I feel like he's saying this out loud because he doesn't want to say it too loud. You know, he, he wants this, this next thing to be between him and Cornelius. He says, Cornelius, you are well aware that it, it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Hmm. But God has shown me that I should not call any man or person impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Now he understands, Peter now understands the vision, uh, uh, what that vision meant. He now understands the purpose of that vision. Some Christians out there believe that verse, uh, the vision on verse uh, 12 to 15, they think that this gives us permission to eat any food we want. 
Not rightfully so. This vision is specifically because in context, Peter points out, it's not about food, it's about people. Whoever God created, white, black, man, female, young or old, they're all precious in God's sight. There is no one that's impure, is what Peter finally realized. It's like he has this epiphany uh, in his theology and philosophy in life. <clears throat> An aha moment. Actually, when I first preached this uh, 15 years ago, that was the title of this sermon, the aha moment. You know, Peter is finally understanding here that the reason why he's been prompted is for God to have him understand that the gospel message is also for the people that they have seen as outsiders. Hmm. Could there be a lesson in there for us? Right? Do we have people that we have listed in our uh, category as outsiders? Be careful now. Are there people that we have considered outsiders in our society? When you think about the Gentiles and the Jewish people, they did not, especially the Jewish, they did not like the Gentiles. Association, from what Peter just told us, is unlawful. And to some Jews at that time, it was a sin. Now it's quiet. Now I got your attention. Because I'm going to say something right now. I'm going to list out some people here that have been the outsiders of not just Christian churches, but society. What do we do if someone walks into our church because they've been prompted by the Holy Spirit and they might be a drug addict? Substance abusers. What if they're homosexual? What if they've cheated on their spouse? These are the very same people that we're talking about here. And I think we need to consider that if we're going to be a loving church. If we're going to be a church that proclaims that we're opening our arms to all people. Because to God, there's no prejudice in that respect. No prejudice in that respect. So here's Peter explaining to Cornelius, I'm understanding a few things here now. I understand that you are not an impure and unclean man, Cornelius. So then he asks Cornelius, may I ask why you sent for me? Then Cornelius responds in verse 30. He says, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. But did you catch it though? Peter never knew what his mission was. <laughs> Did you catch that? Even to the point of where they're interacting, where they're talking together. Peter asked Cornelius, may I ask why you sent for me? And God never told Peter what, your mission, what his mission was. He just said, there's three men out there waiting for you. Go with them. 
uh, okay, Lord, sure, if you say so. Right? It's kind of an odd thing. If this was younger Peter, we know younger Peter because we've been studying his story, he probably would have fought that. He probably would have questioned it. But this time around, he just, he, he heard the prompting and he just followed. Because he has spiritual maturity. He followed. So the point I want to make here is sometimes we don't know what God's plan is and that's okay. That's okay. We, we don't know the full details, but once we feel that prompting, especially if, if that prompting uh, starts to feel stronger, we follow that prompt. And here's the beauty of it. Now Cornelius has given the mission to Peter. We want you to tell us about Jesus. And, uh, here's the other point I want to make about a spiritual mature person. They're going to be ready to give an answer to that question. If someone asked you today, tell me about the gospel, tell me about Jesus, tell me why you go to church, what's your response? Here's Peter's response. Peter began to speak. I'm on verse 34. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear Him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that G John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the, Holy, uh, with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with Him. Then he says something that's very important, especially to people in that time. Witness, to witness something meant that it happened. That's what Peter says here next in verse 39. He says, we are witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Now he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God has already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one from God, appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sins through His name. A spiritually mature person will have an answer to their faith. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you today to number one, listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. To num uh, and for number two, to have that answer ready when you're asked. Because like I said earlier, there are people who are feeling the prompt outside. I've spoken to a few community members already. And they're asking the questions, the right questions. So what kind of church are you going to be? You know, that's a test right there. What kind of church are you going to be? And of course, I'd like to tell them, and I did tell them, we're going to be a church of love. We're going to follow the principles of love, how we're going to accept people just like Jesus did. And not only are we going to accept them, we're going to teach them Jesus' story. 
And through that conviction that they hopefully may be turned. And it's not my job to turn them to Jesus. It's going to be the Holy Spirit's job. The only thing I can do, the only thing you can do, is if we see someone walk through those doors, we need to remember they have been prompted by God. I was 23 years old, 22, 22, because I, I met my wife in 23, and then the rest of the story was happy. But when, uh, before I met her, I was 22, and there was this girl that rejected me uh, back home in Houston. I drove four hours back to school. I was going to school in uh, close to Dallas, where Southwestern Adventist University is. And that whole time, I was just so brokenhearted that this one girl rejected me. Apparently, my professor, Dr. Sorky, Ingo Sorky, could tell the sadness on my face. And he asked me to come into his office. And uh, he inquired about why I felt sad. So I told him the story. And then he asked me the question, so how does this make you feel? I said, it makes me feel inadequate. It makes me feel like I'm not worthy. It makes me feel like I shouldn't even continue here at Southwestern because, well, everyone else is going to get their pastor wife and I don't have one, is what I said. I'm kind of joking about that, but yeah. Then he said something that never left my mind. He said, Edre, you're a good guy. You need to cut yourself some slack. I said, well, how do you know I'm a good guy? Because, well, you're following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. How do you know that? Well, you're here in school. You came back to school. You're sharing this story with me. Those are, our, those are all vulnerable stories that no one will just share to anyone else. Which means you've had some type of prompting to tell me. Promptings are always happening. Someone's going to walk through that door one day and they're going to need us. Because they've had a prompting in their house, at their job. Maybe they're at the park crying because they feel like there's nothing else left in life. And I don't want to miss that opportunity, do you? You don't. Turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 11, verse 1. So now Peter leaves Cornelius' household. He leaves his presence. And um, Peter returns to his brothers, to the other apostles. And look at what happens here. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Oh no. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now I don't want us to get too caught up about the idea of circumcision, but this was to pretty much label... We are, they, we are who we are, and they are them. We are devout because we have followed God's 
um, what's this, God's will to be circumcised, and that's how we are part of God, and they are the Gentiles. And what you have done, Peter, is horrible to give them the word of God. You see what's happening here? Peter's getting reprimanded for talking with Cornelius, for preaching the gospel, for sharing the gospel. So Peter goes ahead and tells them, for the rest of the verses of this chapter, he tells them what transpired. And in verse 15, he says, As I began to speak, I noticed the Holy Spirit came on Cornelius and his people. As he, the Holy Spirit, came on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift that He gave to us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? And see Peter's answer? Peter realized that Cornelius was prompted by God. And if he's prompted by God, and he's asking for our help, who am I and who are you to stop that from happening? I'm going to make a bold statement here. Is if someone is prompted to come through those doors and we stop them, I truly believe that's a sin. That is a sin. That is a sin because that goes against God's teachings. That goes against God's love. Therefore, if we want to do good, if we want to do what God wants us to do, if we want to follow the Lord's will, His, His will is to listen to the prompts. And when a person is prompted through those doors, we welcome them. And we feed them, not with the meatball, but with the gospel message. Verse 18. When the other apostles heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. They had an awakening just as much as Peter did. This is a new theology for them. Could it be the same for us? I think we need to be open to that prompting. Maybe our theology may change. Maybe. Our theology needs to be a theology of love, brothers and sisters. I've been preaching that for the last few weeks, for the last past month. That's because, not that I want to beat a dead horse, but I want to emphasize the importance of how love should be the foundation of our church. And if you don't believe me on that, I will end with this. In Ephesians, turn your Bibles with me to one last place. Ephesians chapter, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. And while, you're while you turn your Bibles to there, I want you to realize that what God did with His promptings, prompting Cornelius, prompting Peter prompting the apostles. You know what God did? He aligned, He united two polar opposite worlds to become one. 
Another word for alignment, I know that's a business word coming from the hospital. I'm used to that word alignment. Another word, and we're going to see that here in Ephesians, is the word united. Spiritually mature people know how to unite with other people. In one accord, right? That's what we had a sermon on a few, month, a few weeks ago was joined together, right? So let me end with this. You'll find some tremendous insight here. And this is where I really got the idea of a meatball for a baby. Not that they had meatballs back then. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. If you think about it, that's what we are. We are teachers. We are disciples of Jesus, right? For what purpose? Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that most of all the body of Christ may be built up. That's an idea of unity right there. To be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Right? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If a church is fighting and bickering, that's the first sign that they are not spiritually mature. I'm going to make that statement. If you see the church fighting and bickering, they are not spiritually mature. They're just out for themselves. A true church will know how to unite. A true church will have empathy, love, open arms. So that we may attain to the full, whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then verse 14, it says here, Then we will no longer be infants. You see that? Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head which is Jesus Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Spiritual maturity happens through unity, through alignment. Spiritual maturity happened to Peter, and Cornelius as they were aligned because they followed the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be excited. I want you to be excited because there's promptings out there. There's promptings out there. People are asking, people are wondering, people are wanting to see what's happening in this church. And let us continue to come together through the power of God's love so that way we can show them that our love is genuine, that our love is real, that our love intends to unite them to Jesus Christ.